Welcome to another episode of the Rugby Coffee Podcast hosted by myself, Cornet Durant, founder of Rugby Coffee uh, out of Twickenham, alongside with partner Tina Spinar in Canada. Hi, Tinas. Good morning. Good morning, Cornet. Um, morning, everybody. Morning. Uh, we morning for you. Afternoon, evening. Yeah, where I am. But as always, people, this is an unedited um, podcast. We don't add. We don't take away anything. Just a bit about rugby coffee for those who don't know much about us. Uh, we are a startup company selling uh, gourmet coffee to mainly the rugby and sports mar- markets and community with the goal to expand globally. And we believe that rugby and coffee brings people together and together we can uh, make a difference. Um, The aim with the business is to create a fantastic brand, but also to make a difference by supporting partner charities, especially uh, those who work with kids you know, uplifting their lives in the com- in communities. Um, you know, using rugby and sport as a tool um, to help uh, those communities, those kids, uh, especially where there's a real need. Um, so we are really glad you guys are with us on this uh, podcast. Um, and we'd like to invite you just to join our journey, buy the coffee, and help make a difference. But um, today, let's get to our guest for today. Um, born in Winnipeg, Manitoba, in the middle of Canada. Capped 43 times for his country, with a professional rugby career spanning over 15 years. Ran out about over 250 times as a professional um in a club level in France from 2003, four onwards. But before that, Landoverian Island in 2002, but mainly in France. Um, a legendary status um, around the world, especially France and Canada, of course. Lock Ford and hard man Jamie Cutmore. Welcome, Jamie. Thank you very much, Corny. Tinius, happy to be uh, happy to be aboard. Morning, Jamie. Great, man. Now it's morning over your side, Jamie. You said you you and Victoria when we spoke a bit earlier. You said it's a bit cold, but um, cold for you guys in Victoria as opposed to the guys the other side in Canada is a bit different. What's cold over there? Well, yeah, you're you're exactly right. Tennis being uh, being out east in Ontario, it's uh, it's a little different. You know, when it gets under under minus one, minus two here, uh, that's a spring day in Ontario. So uh, for the rest of the country, they'd be having a laugh at us. But um, no, it is it has gotten about you know f- minus five, minus six the last couple of days, and there's a bit of snow on the ground, which to me is you know par for the course for winter in Canada. But uh, a lot of people struggle with that here on the west coast, as they're they're used to either a lot of rain or uh, or a bit of sun, so um, you know we're do, we're doing all right, but uh, it is it is a little uh, a little complicated on the roads in the morning. Uh, well, thanks for joining us, and um, just give us an idea where you're at, where where in Victoria. 
Uh, so I live uh, um, near our training center in uh, in Bear Mountain, which is uh, just kind of in the in the north northwest side of Victoria, uh, in a little town called Langford, which is kind of an, an agglomeration of of Victoria. Uh, it's um, it's a it's a great little spot uh, on the west coast as it's uh, very sport orientated. We've got many different national sports organizations that are based out of here, and a lot of different training centers. We've got obviously Rugby Canada's Center of Excellence, the uh, Al Sharon Center, uh, where we have our um, Men's Academy, uh, Women's Sevens Academy, uh, Women's and Men's Olympic programs uh, based out of uh, this building. Um, and then also any um, senior women's or senior men's 15s when they're in training camp, they will be uh, based out of here as we have our. Um, our high performance training center with West Hill Stadium right across the street. So we're basically a one-stop shop for um, any uh, any Canadian rugby player uh, wanting to uh, progress and to build and to uh, attain the the goals that them and their and their teams have uh, set forth. Sounds really good, a really amazing center. So while you're on that topic, what's your role with uh, Rugby Canada? So my role uh, that I took on a, a year and a half ago after uh, coaching professionally in France was um, to restart the Canadian Development Academy, um, known as the Pacific Pride. Pacific Pride was an entity that was uh, put uh, together back in 1995 and ran to about 2004, 2005. Um, through that time, had about a thousand caps uh, were produced through that program. A lot of professional contracts. You know, you got guys like Morgan Williams, Danny Baugh, John Tate. Um, some great professionals came through. I, I myself went through the program in 1999, um, and it's uh, it's 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 a great vehicle for Canadian rugby players to go through our our very well established age grade program, um, but then kind of get to that you know 18 to 23 age group where there's nowhere really to go. For them to continue their uh, their high performance rugby aspirations, so we, in partnership with Rugby Canada, last uh, in two thousand nineteen, uh, we had a few meetings with um, obviously our board and some senior members of the, um, of the of the of Rugby Canada, and we have a group called the Guardians of the Jersey, which are ex captains of Canada through many different eras. And we looked at the state of our national team and, and why it was doing so badly over the last you know, 10, 15 years. And the main point that came out of these talks was uh, we're really under-resourced in terms of players that are prepared to play at the international level. Um, we had a lot of great athletes, uh, maybe even some who got to a certain age where maybe they should have been you know, moving on, you know, myself, myself included. Um, but unfortunately, there was nobody coming through the pipeline to kind of push those established uh, professionals or international players uh, on um, and kind of create a bit of complacency. And it created some real headaches for the coaching staffs that were in, um, in place uh, over the last you know, kind of era. Um, as you know, you get a couple injuries, it's a big, big change for any, any international team. But we had nobody really to call on. Um, we probably did have people to call on, but unfortunately, they weren't prepared 
to play a full 80 or, you know, really compete at the international level. So this is why we got the pride back online. Um, and I'm, I'm extremely excited that, uh, that it is back up and going. Um, the proof is here in, uh, that I'll, I'll speak about in a minute. Um, the fact that we've got um, some great athletes who have come through our age grade programs and are now in a professional environment here day to day and uh, we're playing games, we're playing inter-squad games, we're in full contact as we have a high performance uh, designation through Via Sport. We're, we're business as usual uh, since September. So it's, uh, we're in a very, very fortunate space. Um, and as you talked about, you know, helping, helping kids and get, get things, you know, moving forward, we've got good athletes that come from many different uh, sides of the country. And even, even we've got a few kids that have come in from Africa and from Europe, and we're building, um, you know, player resources for the national team. So that's my day-to-day. I run, uh, I run the academy. Over the last year and a half, we've had uh, 17 guys graduate onto MLR contracts. Um, we've had two go over to Europe into uh, academy contracts. So the proof is there that uh, we have the athletes and we have uh, kids that are you know they're they're pushing, they're pushing for international selection. Uh, hopefully this summer, um, and it's it's great to be in this space where you know sure it's going to take a few years for it to really start to show at the national level, but in terms of you know over resourcing the national program, uh, which is what we really want to do, and have the coaches myself Kingsley Rob Howley have some real headaches when it does come time to. Uh, to select a, a squad for the, the games coming up. So that's my day-to-day with the, with the academy, uh, coaching here with Phil Mack, ex-Canadian international, uh, ex-coach obviously in, uh, in the MLR with the Seattle Seawolves winning uh, two championships. Um, so that we've got a great coaching staff here, great S&C. We're, uh, we're as, as a, uh, a professional entity anywhere in the world, basically, you know, with two coaches, S&C, full uh, – Full weight room and uh, and uh, doctors and, and physios as you would expect, and um, yeah, we were uh, we're pretty excited as to you know what what we're building here and um, you know what uh, what we can uh, build for the future. And then when I'm in uh, when we get into test windows, I um, I coach the forwards for our national team with uh, as I said earlier, Kingsley Jones is the head coach and and Rob Howley is uh, our attack coach. Jamie, that sounds fantastic. Um, I was we were going to ask you about um, how the how the program runs, etc., and it, you've explained it there. And it seems like the vehicle is in place um, to drive this forward, and it's exciting times for Canadian rugby. How's how's the Olympic preparations going? Um, well, Olympic preparation for the for the men and women is 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 difficult. Um, hmm. you know, the men. The men have uh, only just come back into their d- daily training environment after uh, you know the majority of them opting out before Christmas. Um, because you know, honestly, there was so many uh, so many questions before Christmas as to you know when the are the Olympics going to go off, uh, when's the best time to start training. Um, so it's very very difficult for the coaching staff and the squad to really have any certainty as to what they're building towards. Clearly, they're building towards the Olympics, but you know. What type of training are they going to be able to do uh, outside of this environment? 
this environment is perfect for them to uh, to build and to be prepared. But as we all know, they're going to need games before the uh, the Olympics to uh, to be properly prepared. Where that's going to happen and when? Well, with COVID, uh, nobody really knows. There's uh, there's about five or six plans put put down on pencil. But you know, as 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 we know, it's uh, things can change quite quickly. And then the women's program are uh, are, are training as well. Um, they've had um, a bit of an issue lately with uh, with coaching changes, but um, that's a, that's a process that they're going through. And um, it's uh, you know it's it's not something that I can speak on. Um, yeah, sure. No, yeah. it's it it's it's a difficult time for you know any team. I, I mean, I read in the news today that some teams can't make it out to a sevens tournament in Madrid, um, which a, a number of international teams are going to. But yeah, difficult times in regards to COVID. But um, yeah. let's take it back to you and um, Jamie Cutmore. Um, family, Jamie. We know about Jennifer. Yeah. Um, Jennifer, you guys um, are what we call a, a rugby couple. Um, and then you've got kids. Can you tell us a little bit about Jennifer and, and, and your kids and um, what, yeah. what they're up to um, and um, how you've been doing since you've been back from France? Yeah, so uh, obviously I met Jennifer uh, – Back in 2000, uh, 2008, um, in, in Canada at a, at a rugby game, funnily enough. And uh, she was moving to uh, France to, uh, to do her MBA in, in Grenoble and then uh, on into uh, to Oxford. She, uh, we, our, our, kind of, our, our relationship started then and, and went from strength to strength and, until uh, you know, we started living together and got married when uh, I was playing in Clermont. Um, as things go, you know, a few years later, we had uh, uh, two children, my daughter, Mael, and then my uh, my son, Grayson, who was born a couple years after. And, um, you know, really enjoyed the, the French lifestyle of growing up with kids there as families, obviously very important in the, in the French lifestyle. Um, and, uh, you know, really enjoyed ourselves, you know, as a family. And then with Jennifer building, building different businesses, um, you know, as, as my wife's been in business for, for about longer than I've been playing rugby, she knows exactly what she's doing when she's, uh, when she's building uh, things such as, you know, we, we've had a, a nightclub, a sports bar, we've had a wine bar, we've had a wine, two different wine labels while we were in France. Um, and then uh, she, we, after my concussion issues in 2015, we started a, uh, we started a, a foundation called the Rugby Safety Network, uh, based out of uh, out of Geneva in Switzerland, in partnerships with a company called Neurovision that do uh, um, neuro, neurological um, ophthalmologic um, brain training. Um, so that was uh, that was really good, especially for me at that time in terms of uh, helping some of my uh, concussion uh, recovery uh, plans, and then. Um, you know, moving back to Canada, um, my wife continued on with a few of her businesses that she's she started up with uh, some resale stuff, and um, she's she's very big into disruptive technology. So she uh, she's um, uh, has started a a cryptocurrency consultancy, 
and uh, that's that's her day to day. Um, and then we continually build on on other different options when you know that that come about. Moving back to Canada, um, she's continued on with that and uh, continues on with the resale, um, the business that she has. And um, it's it's quite funny because a lot of it I don't really understand, but uh, she uh, she's much more successful than I am. So uh, if she talks, I listen. But well, um, this is this sorry. is why this uh, couples, you know, couples can successful couples bring different things to it, doesn't it? And you know, um, you you guys uh, back in Canada now. Um, how has that been for the kids? And for yourselves, um, it's been it's been a great uh, it's been a great um, change. Um, you know, moving moving back, it was funny. We actually uh, we took a boat back from Europe, uh, just like back in the 1700s. We, uh, <laughs> we got on a cruise ship from uh, Rotterdam and uh, came over the North Atlantic and got wow. uh, off in St. John's. The boat was going down to Boston, but um, you know, last last year with the regime in place, there was no way we we're going to the states. So we hopped off in St. John's, where my wife's actually from, and uh, and we got off the boat. No passport control, no nothing. Just hopped off the boat, <laughs> back, back to the, the old man's truck, and off we went. <laughs> so, uh, so that's how we got home to Canada. Uh, it was funny because it was actually cheaper to take the boat than it was to take the plane. Wow. Uh, uh, yeah, so we got home like that, and it was an amazing, amazing experience because we went over the North Atlantic. So we went up to Shetland Islands, around Iceland, uh, stopped in Iceland a bunch of different places, went up to Greenland, uh, stopped in Greenland, um, and then steamed south to, to St. John's, and uh, and then we hopped off the boat. So that's how, how we long, got back. Wow, how so long did that trip take you? The the whole trip, I think, was 17 days, but we got off on the 13th day. Um, okay. John's. It was quite funny. Amazing. We got to the bottom of the boat, and uh, when anytime you get on off the boat, you have these cards where you have to kind of swipe in so that they know they can keep a tab on everybody. And uh, we got to the bottom of the boat. We had all our bags and everything, and we've been traveling. And, and nice uh, boat worker guy. He looks and he goes, he goes, "Why you got all your bags? We're only here for six hours." I said, "No, no, it's okay. We're getting off." And he said, he looks outside, and it's kind of gray, rainy day, and. We're down on the port in St. John's, which is um, it's a, it's an industrial area just on that that section. And he kind of looks up. He goes, "Why do you want to stay here?" And we're like, "Oh, buddy, this is home. This is home. We're getting off the boat." <laughs> he goes, "He goes, okay." And he we took his he took our cards and we walked down the gangway and around the corner and onto the street and bags in the back and off we went. And I kind of I didn't really think about it at first, but you know because we're Canadian, we got our passports and everything. But I thought, man, it's Funny, there was no like control <laughs> or customs or anything. So, but uh, anyway, we're back, so um, you know we're, I'm not hiding. So no, no, you um, certainly came back, and it's a great way to come back. Fantastic, Luke. Yeah, um, I'll hand over to to Tina's now to talk a bit more about rugby and your your career. Yeah, brilliant, man. Thanks, Gwena, and thanks for that, um, Jamie. Um, what a pleasure to have you on the show, Gwena, as the captain and, and the founder. He's given me, he always gives me clear guidelines about how long we, we can be busy and, 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 and how long it's going to be. But I want to chat a bit of ball as this is a, a game of uh, a show for rugby, a show for coffee. But we want to ask you, where did your love for this game start? You know, you've had such an illustrious career and it's taken you 
many places as we've just heard, but at what age did it for you start and where? Um, well, rugby for me uh, started quite late. Um, uh, I'm, I'm obviously don't come from a traditional rugby uh, area. Um, the small town that I grew up in, Squamish, uh, not far from here, um, there was no real established rugby uh, as, a, as a child. Um, I always knew about rugby because my father actually emigrated to Canada back in the early 70s, um, and he, he played rugby. Uh, he played rugby, uh, you know, at a kind of a county level in, in the south of England, uh, playing for, I think he played for Sussex, if I yeah. sense. Uh, and then he played, um, my father's a physician, so he played through medical school. He was, um, he played at Cambridge as well uh, when he was doing his medical school stuff there. Um, so I always knew about rugby and, and he always talked about, uh, you know, his boys playing rugby and he had the, the five nations videos on VHS that he used to, <laughs> you know, make us watch. And, um, so we, we knew about it, but there was, unfortunately there was no, uh, there was no rugby in, in Squamish growing up. So, uh, we did a lot of the, the other traditional sports there back in the eighties, you know, uh, my brothers played hockey. I tried a bit of hockey, but I was, um, my dad was a big skier. Um, so he used to take a skiing quite a bit. And then uh, I did, you know, a ski, ski club in our high schools. So the high school would, uh, would take you up to, uh, to skiing a few days a week, which is pretty, pretty cool to be, uh, to be able to do that. You know, I, I don't think they do that now anymore because <laughs> it's uh, unfortunately a bit too pricey up in Whistler. But, um, yeah. you know, that's, that's kind of how, how things as like, a, you know, 10, 12-year-old kind of started with rugby. My dad always had those videos. Um, and then later on, um, I, I started working, um, you know, uh, at kind of 14, 15 years old. I wasn't too in, interested in high school at those days. A lot of my buddies were working in the bush. So, um, they said, hey, come, on, come on up, uh, work in the bush and, uh, you know, get, you get paid good money and it's, it's pretty fun running around in the woods all day. So I thought, all right, let's give it a go. And, um, you know, I've done a few jobs over the winter, you know, did, did some gas fitting, did some, you know, propane delivery, you know, humping uh, 100 kilo, uh, 100 kilo um, canisters up and down construction sites. And, you know, that wasn't really for me, but um, I started getting in, into some more uh, logging work in the summers. And um, at one time, uh, the, uh, the, the boss that I was working for, it was the president of the local club, the Squamish Axman. And um, Greg Richmond's his name. He's, a, he's an absolute legend out here on the West Coast in, in logging and in rugby. And uh, he said, listen, if you guys don't want to play, uh, don't want to, uh, sorry, work on Saturdays, uh, you and your, your line mate, you guys can come out and play some rugby. And my buddy Dave, he's like, rugby? Man, that, that's crazy. Those guys are crazy. They've got no pads, this, that, and the other. And I said, no, no, Dave, it's okay. My dad, I've, I've watched the rugby. It looks like a lot of fun. And so that's kind of how it all started. You know, I, uh, we, we got off work Saturday down to, down to, the, uh, down to the school, um, right off the highway in Squamish there. And everybody's changing off the back of their pickup trucks. And, you know, guys have got the, they got a dart in their mouth and they're running on the field, kind of throw it off, off to the side as they, as they run on the field. So that was <laughs> kind of the warm up that we got, you know. Then, yeah. Uh, the first scrum, you know, probably the third, fourth scrum in the game, you know, the boys were puking up what they had the night before and this, that, and the other. So it was, it was pretty rough, quite social rugby. Yeah. But uh, I was hooked. I was hooked because, you know, anytime you smack somebody or you got going forward, everybody would slap you on the back and they'd be, they'd be quite excited. So I thought, man, this is, this is it for me. So, um, 
it kind of kind of went from there where um you know really enjoyed the game loved that camaraderie loved the fact that it was like uncompromising um game where you know anything you did to help your team move forward that was that was uh celebrated so i uh, i i took to it very very easily that's brilliant i love that no um mate um other sports you covered because I, I sent you and uh, we looked at your schooling career and background, but uh, that's a whole process that that starts started right there with the Axeman and and on the weekend and everything. And you say it very humbly, but it led to an illustrious Canadian rugby career and and abroad. But your journey into that Canadian rugby squad. I'm always interested to hear what it took and how quickly it took some people. Um, I was fortunate back in South Africa to to be a housemate and uh, one of my best friends was Donnie van Skalke at the Springbok Centre, uh, Blue Bulls legend in Springbok Centre. But um, he virtually, within a space of, of six months of making a provincial squad, made it into a Springbok team. And it was just it was always interesting to hear that time it took before you were in Rugby Canada in the red jersey on the international stage, can you tell us more? Yeah, so um, that uh, that one that the first year I, I played a bit with Squamish, I um, I was still you know there was a few issues around you know me being a basically being a shithead when I was a kid you know late teens getting in a bit of trouble and this that and the other, um, and uh, I still hadn't quite found my way as to what exactly I wanted to do. Um, the walls were definitely closing in on me in Squamish, so I uh, I had to uh, I had to get out of there basically. So um, I moved down to uh, to North Vancouver and I, I joined the uh, the Capilanos uh, club in on the North Shore. Um, yeah. that's my club uh, till till the end of days with Squamish, obviously. But um, they uh, I, I basically walked in into the field and there was a whole bunch of people that were very similar to me, similar age, similar you know kind of background and. You know, a lot of a lot of kind of guys that were working and stuff. So you know, I felt I felt like at home already, um, and uh, it was a better standard of rugby and a lot more people playing. So I played a year uh, there with uh, with the Capilanos, um, and halfway through the year, I had an opportunity uh, through a good friend of mine, Bob Remner, who had just come back from New Zealand, um, and he said, "Listen, if you you look like you've got some uh, you've got some potential here. You should uh, you should go down to New Zealand this summer and." Uh, and try to, uh, you know, progress your game. I said, yeah, okay, all right, why not? Like, you know, sounds, right sounds fun. So um, he, he set me up with a friend of his, uh, Bruce Wigglesworth, and uh, the East Coast Bays Rugby Club in uh, the North Shore of Auckland. Um, I went down uh, a couple weeks later. I sold everything I had. The club gave me a 1000 bucks and uh, it, towards my, uh, towards my, my plane ticket. Anyway, I sold everything I had, TV, truck, and all that, and I uh, I went on down to New Zealand uh, with a with a bag over my shoulder and not really knowing what was what was going to happen. Uh, anyway, I showed up at six o'clock in the morning in Auckland Auckland Airport, no bags, no nothing. My bags got uh, lost somewhere. Anyway, I got picked up by Bruce, and uh, he goes, "Oh, how you feeling?" I said, "Oh, yeah, you know, not too bad." He goes, "Oh, let's go for breakfast." I go, yeah, that's that'd be great, but you know, I'd like to maybe stop and just buy like some underwear and a and a toothbrush or something. You know, I got no I got no clothes. 
He goes, oh, I don't worry about that. We're going to go play rugby. I said, oh, it sounds good. So I got <laughs> off the plane that morning. I went and had breakfast. And that afternoon, uh, some uh, one of the boys lent me a pair of boots, and I played rugby the same afternoon. So uh, wow. that's that's how it started uh, down in New Zealand. And, um, you know, I really, really enjoyed that, you know, working working in the week, pouring concrete on Saturday mornings, playing rugby the Saturday afternoons, and, and just enjoying the whole immersion into the, the New Zealand culture. Um, it's very, very similar to our culture here on the West Coast of Canada. Um, a lot of similarities between, you know, the, the Maori culture and our, our, uh, our Coast, Coast Salish peoples, um, definitely the Squamish Nation where I grew up. I got a lot of friends, uh, Indigenous persons uh, in Squamish, and, um, you know, a lot of the mannerisms and the way people interact is very, very similar. So I felt like home. I felt like I was at home, and uh, it was really, really great. Um, and that's kind of how... I basically, I kind of like supercharged my, my rugby ID, IQ, my, uh, my understanding of the game in that, in that year. Um, and I even got selected to a uh, Harbor under 21s. Um, so I was, I was pretty excited about, you know, how, how quickly I kind of caught on and how things were, you know, developing. I kept getting these opportunities left, right and center. Um, and at the same time I got that call up to under, Harbor under 21s, uh, I had, um, one of our club captains at, at Capilano is uh, Julio Dakotas, who's a you know great great friend, great friend of a, of ours with his brothers and uh, and their family's been huge supporters of rugby in Canada, and definitely uh, of my program. Um, and Julio, he, he he's a man of a uh, few words. And Julio called me. He said, he said, Cudmore, you get back. We're going into the Pacific Pride. I'll see you next week. <laughs> and I said. Okay, Julio, I'll see you next week. <laughs> so the next week I was on a plane and uh, I came back up to Canada and I was out, uh, I went out uh, here to Victoria and I was, uh, I was a member of the uh, Pacific Pride Academy, which I now, I now coach. Um, so it was, uh, it was pretty cool how, you know, things went from year to year to year, bang, 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 bang. I had a great year with the, with the pride, um, Again, learning a whole bunch, uh, playing with some great, uh, some great guys, um, and we went on our end of year tour to Germany. Um, had a great, had a great tour. Uh, ended up beating the German national team in the in the final game uh, before we came home. And um, on the flight home, we uh, a friend of mine, Colin Ukes, and I were uh, were kind of chatting. Like, hey, Colin, what are you doing this summer? He goes, oh, I don't know. I, me neither. Uh, we got nothing to do. So we said, oh, you know, it'd be really fun. We're going to hitchhike across Canada. We're going to start when we get out of the, air, the airport in Vancouver. We're going to go watch the, uh, the premiership final um, in Vancouver. And then from then on, we'll just, uh, we'll just hitchhike uh, east. <laughs> the great thing about rugby in Canada is, yes, it's a, it's a big country, but every stop of the way, we knew somebody involved in rugby. And we knew there'd be an open door or a meal, or, you know, whatever it need, whatever you needed through that great rugby community. So off we went. So we went from the airport, went to the, uh, went to the uh, Thunderbird Stadium in UBC where the finals were being ha- held, and um, watched the game, had a couple of beers, had a good laugh, said goodbye to everybody, and uh, put our bags on our backs, and off we went, walking out of the stadium. And as we were walking out of the stadium, we ran into David Clark, who was – the then uh, national team coach, and he was also our coach with the um, with the uh, academy. 
And uh, I remember Clarkie just goes, Colin, Jamie, look at me now. Hi, Clarkie. Yeah, yeah, okay. You come with me to Australia next week. And we kind of looked at each other like, what? So that was our call-up. Wow. Uh, Aussie to an Aussie tour with Canada and uh, and off we went. And that's kind of where like my whole Canadian uh, career started. Um, those games weren't capped games. They were, it was kind of like an A development tour. Um, but um, we were, we were in the, we were in the setup. And uh, after that coming home um, from that tour, which was a, a real eye opener for, for me in terms of, you know, where I needed to be uh, in terms of, you know, game IQ, um, fitness, and just getting bigger and stronger. Cause at, you know, at that age I was only at that time I was only 22. Um, I just, I, I know I needed to get, get a bit of an edge. Yeah. So off, off of that tour, um, you know, I had a, had a good couple of weeks working as hard as I could. Um, a lot of, a lot of weight training, good eating, um, and training, training properly. And then that got me a call up to the national team with, uh, some games against the Americans down in the States. And that's where I got my first cap in Oh two uh, against, uh, the United States in Chicago. And I was, uh, I was, uh, very fortunate to have, uh, replaced, um, Canadian rugby legend Al Sharon in, uh, in the second row in that game. And I came on and, and, uh, they, they had pretty much done all the work. The game was over by the time I came on, but, you know, I got my first cap and, um, and that's from then on, that's when it kind of started opening up opportunities in Europe where, um, a guy named Pat Dunkley, uh, who was uh, Canadian international at the time, our hooker, uh, was playing in Wales, and he said, "Listen, they're looking for uh, they're looking for internationals, uh, second rows, and front rows." And I said, "Well, yeah, sure. What uh, what's what's the deal?" They said, "Well, come on, come on over, and we'll, and we'll uh, they'll uh, they'll pay for your flight. They'll give you a thousand bucks a month, a free car, and a, and a house, and all that." I said, "Jesus, they're going to pay me to play rugby?" <laughs> Up and before this, I never really understood <clears throat> the whole professional side of the game. One, growing up in Squamish, I didn't know that it was possible to play professionally. And then as I kind of, you know, went through the the different levels of rugby that I was playing, I started to see like, oh, geez, okay, yeah, these guys are they're doing this full time. Um, and that really interests me. So the fact that I had this opportunity to go to Wales and play for Thanasley, um, you know, an, a storied club uh, with, you know, X number of internationals and, you know, a huge amount of history. That um, was for me. It was just like a step up, a step up, a step up every year. Whereas to this one, was, this was more than a step up. This was probably three or four steps up. So um, you know, it was uh, it was great. It just went from strength to strength. And uh, I, I still still remember walking into the change room the first time, and I'm I'm looking around the room, and you know, you've got basically the whole Welsh squad, uh, a couple of, uh, choice internationals. You know, the Easterby brothers. You got Scott Quinnell. Stephen Jones, uh, Lee Davies, uh, John Davies, you know, you got all these, these, these British and Irish lions, you've got Welsh guys, uh, Tongans, uh, Irish squad members. And I'm kind of thinking like, geez, a couple, couple years ago, I was, uh, I was playing, I was playing uh, social rugby in Squamish. You know? <laughs> yeah. And uh, all of a sudden I'm here and I'm getting paid. And I thought this is amazing. So, uh, you know, that's why where the kind of the whole professionalism really, really started. Um, learning how to train as a professional was definitely uh, done when I was involved in the academy here with Mr. Clark and uh, and um, John uh, John McMillan. Um, 
And, uh, and after that, you know, I had a good base uh, from, from that to, to kick, to crack on in, uh, in professional rugby and, uh, and really give a go. So, um, yeah, that was um, – so that summer uh, I got capped. That year I played for Thanathli. And then the next year I was, uh, I was brought into the uh, Canadian World Cup squad for the, my first World Cup in, uh, in 03. And um, from that I was, uh, I was um, offered a job in Grenoble after the World Cup in 03 and um, not really knowing where Grenoble was, uh, you know, I knew it was in France. I knew it was in the mountains. I thought, you know, that sounds, sounds like something for me. I like the mountains yeah. and I, they're going to pay me to play rugby. So I said, all right, let's do it. And, um, and that's how the whole kind of the French, the French side of my life uh, started. Love that, mate. Thanks for that. This, uh, the, what a great journey. The, the I wanted to actually pass the ball over here because this is where my mind goes haywire and I want to ask you 15 different questions, but we've got to stick to our time as well and I'm going to pass the ball back to my teammate, Corne. All right. Well, Jamie, no, that's an amazing story you had uh, of your career up to that stage and got to France, obviously. I think I've, I thought you were in Ireland for some reason, but you were in Wales, actually. Before you went across to uh, to to France, um, so in, starting out in France, what what was the first thing that that sort of got um, you? This is where I'm going to stay, or this is what this is this is a place I can I can play my rugby at, and you ended up playing in France for many years. So just yeah. tell us what what it is about the French environment that sort of kept you there. Um. Well, it was it was definitely very difficult at the beginning, um, as I'm sure a lot of people can attest to. You know, um, obviously a new language. I come from the West Coast, of Canada, so we don't speak French very much. I didn't pay any attention in school, as I told said earlier. <laughs> um, I definitely wish I I had have uh, paid attention because that that first taxi ride when I showed up at the airport in uh, in Lyon and the taxi dr- took me down to Grenoble, which is about a 45 hour hour drive. And this guy's firing off in French, and I have no idea what he's talking about. So, um, you know, the the first, uh, to be honest, the first three four months was very very difficult. Um, at that era in uh, in French rugby, there wasn't that much support for any foreigners coming into the club. It was basically you got to figure it out on your own, um, and if you don't like it, too bad, you can f off. So. Um, you know, nowadays you've got, you know, dedicated people in the club that help the guys, the foreign guys, the foreign families uh, get properly integrated, get their health stuff sorted out, get, you know, their housing and how to pay bills and all that. Right. But, um, you know, at that time, the that club didn't have that. To be fair, their their manager, um, Willie Taufifinua, who's uh, the father to um, – some uh, some great rugby players already. Uh, his son being in the second row of the of the, um, of the French team now. Um, he was a, he was a huge help for me uh, at that time. You know, sp- spoke a bit of English and uh, really helped uh, me uh, set things up as best as possible. Um, but uh, you know, like I said, from the from the taxi uh, from Lyon down to uh, down to uh, the apartment hotel that I was in for a few uh, for a few months. Um, and then, you know, get picked up every day by a taxi to get out to training and, and this, that, and the other. It's, um, 
it's difficult. Uh, it's difficult, uh, you know, when you can't communicate, you don't know where you are. And um, I didn't even know how to phone home, to be honest. I, was, yeah. <laughs> I didn't know there was country codes or anything like that. And, you know, early 2000s, the Internet wasn't as developed as it is now. Um, you know, nobody had smartphones or anything like that. But, um, you know, I, I, I it was it was hard. But, you know, I, I talked with, uh, you know, my my mother quite a bit about it. And she said, listen, you know, when you're when you have an opportunity to go overseas and go do something that's kind of outside the normal. Uh, when people ask you, you know, if you want to go somewhere, you want to experience something, she's like, just say yes. Because you don't know what you don't know what'll what'll happen. You it's going to open up an a, a, an opportunity. So I said, you know what? I'll, I'll give it. I'll give it. A, I'll give it another year. So I gave it another year. Then the following year, um, Dean Richards came in as uh, our our director of rugby. Um, Dean named me captain. Uh, so things were going really really well with that. But unfortunately, there was um, you know was some difficulties within the squad, and um, it's. Um, it was, uh, you know, it was kind of, it was, it was back and forth. You know, I had difficulties in the squad trying to lead guys who I didn't really have a proper grasp of the language quite yet. Um, there was a staunch group of not wanting to speak English, another staunch group of not really wanting to speak French, and then kind of myself and a few other guys in the middle trying to hold it all together. Um, and as you guys know, if you don't have everybody pulling in the same direction, it makes it very, very difficult to be successful on the field. Um, and, and then on top of that, there was, uh, there was some dodgy things happening at the presidential level in terms of, you know, grabbing money from here and paying over there. Uh, and, um, you know, things, things didn't seem very stable. So I, at that time I was looking around to try to find a club with a bit more, you know, long-term plan stability. Um, and I was looking in England and I was looking in France. Um, after that process started, I had, um, uh, some good chats with R Richard Cockrell at Leicester. Um, you know, those in those days, you know, 2004, 2005, Leicester was very strong. Mm. They were doing very well. Um, and I had also had uh, a conversation with uh, with Clermont, uh, Clermont Ferrand, so ASM. Um, and uh, I was I was kind of in between two two chairs. You know, I I talked with Richard. I talked with uh, um, John Mark and Neil, the the managers and, and general managers at Clermont. And I was kind of, you know, I was, I was humming and hawing. And I guess it boiled, boiled down to a conversation I had with Richard and, and a conversation I had with my parents about, you know, I, I hadn't really given France a chance. I didn't, I didn't have a mastery of the language at that time. It was about two years in. I was really starting to uh, enjoy the, the lifestyle. Um, you know, the fact that, you know, family and food is very important, um, and uh, there's 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 good kind of um, you know there's good protocols around all that you know yeah when everybody sits down for a meal everybody has a drink and you know whether it's water or wine it doesn't matter but everybody sits down and has a drink or you're at the bar and you have a drink and everybody's chatting catching up and then you go to the table and then you know there's 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 layers to all of it and I, I really enjoyed that and um, as I said I didn't think I'd given France a chance and Richard to be fair uh, at the time when we were talking he. Um, he he had played it at Claremont and um, he said, listen, man, you know, I if if I were you, I'd probably stay in France because I think you're going to have an amazing career. And here he was. I think he was honestly looking for somebody maybe a little bit more experienced than I was at the time. Um, and I, I really enjoyed his uh, his honesty and uh, his frankness around uh, that decision. 
And um, so I ended up signing with Clermont and uh, then that's kind of where, where things really started getting moving because um, that first year with Claremont, we had a bit of a disappointing year as we had an amazing squad, uh, but probably just not enough structure and, um, and accountability uh, in, in the group. Um, whereas, you know, the year after when Vern Cotter arrived, jeez, uh, it was like night and day. It was uh, roll up your sleeves and get to work, boys, because uh, we're going to outwork everybody. And, uh, and that's what we did for basically the, the 10 years after that. Nice. Yeah, it's amazing. You, you. That was the start of a real successful team. Um, uh, you know, in two thousand, I think it was two thousand and nine or ten. You guys got to the final. Your first Clermont's first um, national final in the top fourteen. Is that correct? That's correct. So um, when uh, when Vern arrived, oh six oh seven, we uh, we had a great first year where we won the uh, the Amlin Cup. So like the Challenge European yeah. Cup. Against, uh, against Bath, and then we're in the finals against uh, Stade Francais. Uh, unfortunately, we lost that one on a nail-biter, uh, I think, in the last three minutes of the game. Um, and then uh, the following year, yeah, in the final again, <laughs> losing against Toulouse, and then the following year in the final again, <laughs> losing against uh, yeah. Um, but you know, it's, it shows the, the sign of the, the work ethic and the, uh, and the sheer indignation in the, in that group, uh, to be in the final every year. Um, and you know, there's a lot of talk about, you know, this malediction that they, they, uh, they didn't, uh, they were never going to win the final or this, that and the other, but you know, for, for, for you guys and the people listening that know that have been at rugby at any level, when you're in a final, it doesn't, you don't merit anything. You have to yeah. actually rip the rip the trophy out of the other team's hands. It's the only way to do it. It doesn't matter what you did before. It doesn't matter what you're doing tomorrow. It matters that moment. And it's every single moment in that game that matters. And you have to win every single one of them. That's it. Um, and, uh, and we finally did that in 2010. And um, I'll tell you, boys, you've never seen a party like that. It was ridiculous. <laughs> the town shut down for about a week. Um, <laughs> when we came down on the train the following day, they couldn't let us out in town because there was like 25,000 people around the train station. They couldn't get anybody in or out of there. Wow. So they let us out like two kilometers out of town onto this little platform. And even there, there was about 1,000 people around the bus. <laughs> then they got us into the stadium uh, we got on an open top bus from the stadium and then we basically walked the bus from the stadium into the center of town with a rope of uh, police around us. So like you got like wow. cops around the bus with a rope hanging onto a rope. So they kind of created a bit of a cordon so that people couldn't get you know trampled under the bus right. and just kind of crawled into town. And um, once we got into town, I'd say there's probably 100, 120,000 people in the center, center of Place and everybody started jumping. And they recorded a seismic event in, in Clermont with <laughs> all these people jumping up and down. And, uh, yeah, it was like it's a volcanic volcanic region uh, in in Auvergne, and uh, man, it was like a volcano had exploded because uh, <laughs> these people had been waiting for a hundred years. Um, you know, that was the hundredth year of existence of the club, and they'd never won a final. And uh, we finally did it, and uh, man, it's something I'll never I'll never forget. So special. That must that must be one of the biggest highlights. Apart from now, Canada, Canada running out in the World Cup or playing in the Test, but that must must have been one of the biggest rugby highlights. 
Definitely, definitely. You know, you're you're you hit the nail on the head. You know, my first my first cap with Canada um, gives me goosebumps just thinking about it here now. Um, and then it's the same with uh, our final in 2010. Um, you know, it's it's pretty pretty amazing to be able to to be the first group to have done something. Um, and and you know, we are we still got a WhatsApp group that uh, we're called the the, the premier. So like the first ones to do it. So. Mm. It's uh, it's really really special. And you guys went on and you um, continued on a, on a high level with that with that club. And um, you guys obviously, um, everybody was trying to beat Clermont in the European Cup. Um, that was the game that everybody was looking forward to on a weekend. Um, what was the biggest thing that you got out of? that period of your life um, in France, especially with a club like Le Mans, what was the biggest thing you took away from it? Um, that's a really good question. I, I, I've ne- I haven't really thought about, you know, what, what I've taken away from it. Um, I think just, you know, being, being in the, in a high performance sports environment, like such as that, um, with so many great players, um, being able to share those experiences with them and and learn off everybody. You know the different coaches that I was involved with. You know you got Joe Smith, Frank Azima, um, Vern Cotter. Obviously was was kind of the the, the spearhead of of, of all that. Um, some of the SNC coaches we had that were always trying to find new ways to do things. Um, and then some of the amazing players that were uh, that were around around me. Um, you know that I was able to learn off of. Uh, you know, guys, you know, you guys know John Smith played played two years with John Smith and, uh, you know, obviously a world rugby legend, um, you know, many other guys uh, that came through the club that, you know, added their 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 piece. Um, and it was um, I think it was just, you know, that experience of of gleaning, you know, little tidbits off of everybody creates kind of what what you what you become as as a rugby player and what you can what you can try to get to and um, you know it's it's true that that in during that period where you know we were we were kind of walking on the on the on the roof of Europe where you know we're we're involved in in top of our team finals every year we're involved in in semifinals or finals of European Cup every year it was uh, it was quite a grind in terms of you know the toll that it took on uh, on my body but um, it was uh, it was an amazing experience to be uh, to be involved in uh, in things at that high level. Yeah, very very special. Uh, I, I I can imagine all a lot of what you've learned and a lot of what you picked up you would be able to now use in this environment that you're now in, and that's great for Canada for sure, and people going away and then able to bring that back. Now, but you ended your career in, at Anax, um, and uh, then was it 2017 your last year there? Um, yeah, so I uh, towards my the end of my career in uh, in Clermont, um, I wasn't I wasn't really sure what what, what I was going to do. Um, talked about it with the wife. Um, you know, should we just continue on through business? Do we want to stay in rugby? Um, and you know, my wife does does her own thing so she said listen if you if you still want to play let's let's do it uh but you know she she was always pushing for me to retire you know even even back in 2009 2010 because you know as any wife they don't want to see their husband get hurt but i said oh don't worry about that honey i'm never going to get hurt i give i give more than i receive (laughs) um you know it's uh 
it's a, it's a bit of a laugh, but uh, that's 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 my attitude around you know when I when I when I play, you just try to sure. give it all for your for your team. And um, I thought I still had a bit more to give, so um, I was uh, offered a, a, a great uh, opportunity in Oyana to uh, to move to move east um, and work with uh, a guy who I actually played with in uh, in Grenoble, uh, Johan Otier, who was the uh, director of rugby there at the time, and. Um, uh, was, uh, I was brought over. I was uh, named captain uh, after preseason, um, and um, I made some pretty pretty bold predictions in the uh, in the lead up to, to the season. I basically we got up uh, in front of uh, everybody in the the launch for the season with all the captains up in Paris, and uh, I said uh, we're going to win this at the end of the year, um, and everybody laughed at me. And uh, I, I loved it. I'm like perfect. You guys, you guys laugh at me. You don't understand. We're going to win. And um, and we did. So yeah, uh, I, was, I was very fortunate to have uh, a lot of guys that worked very, very hard around me because uh, they basically saved my ass. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, um, you know, I might I might have written a big a big check, but uh, we cashed it at the end of the year. So I was very, uh, very happy with that. Um, at the end of that season, after winning the Pro de Deux and get, winning Ascension up to the top 14, I was uh, I think I was just I was a bit bit too beat up to keep going. Um, I could have kept playing, but I would have played maybe one, two games a month. Just I just couldn't couldn't recover. I was 38 years old at the time, and you know, to to continue on uh, in a, in a league which is um, very forwards based, so it's um, you know it's 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 truck it up rugby and um, you know good kicking games, um, which is um, you know doesn't uh, doesn't ease you into retirement uh, as uh, as I was kind of looking. So uh, I just thought it, w- it wouldn't be fair to the club and wouldn't be fair to myself either to uh, just kind of punch it in every week. Um, and as part of my contract, uh, how it was structured, I was uh, I was moving into coaching already. I'd already been coaching for the last 10 years um, in uh, many different capacities, but n- most notably with the the ESPOR team in, in, uh, in ASM. Um, had an amazing amount of great players come through that uh, that squad that I was coaching with uh, a guy named Sam Sharouk. You look at guys on the on the French team that came through our, our squad. You know you've got Raka, um, uh, Wesley Fofana. Uh, who else uh, came through there? Jeez, uh, I'm probably missing a few. Paul Jedraziak, who's played second row for the for the uh, for the French team, and now with Clermont, uh, the Lanyon uh, twins had them in the cadets. So I mean, we won three French championships as, uh, as Espoir teams. So I was, um, I was pretty well versed in the, in the French coaching uh, system at that time. And uh, I moved uh, from, from captaining uh, Oyana that year and then moved into the, uh, the a role as a forwards coach um, with, with Oyana in the, in the top 14 that following year. Yeah. Jamie, you um, just, Congratulations, first of all, um, Big time. Uh, on your career um, lasting that long as well. You know, I know at the end there was some issues with the body, obviously. Um, you know, but also on your four four World Cups, um, and I know they're all DTH said to us they're all different. But is there any World Cup that stands out for you? This is your favorite one. Um, I'd probably say um, the 2011 World Cup in New Zealand. Um, that one for me was uh, was was pretty special. Um, going back to New Zealand since um, that was the first time I'd gone back to New Zealand. Sorry, uh, since I'd played there, 
Um, so catching up with a lot of uh, great friends. Uh, my wife and daughter were uh, were able to come down uh, with us. Um, it was uh, it was a pretty crazy start to that, where uh, we were based out on the west coast here in Canada, and then flew uh, flew from Vancouver down to Auckland, and then uh, my wife and daughter went the other way. They went back to Newfoundland, and then flew back to France, and then went from France to Dubai to Sydney to Auckland. So they, my daughter, two years old, had pretty much gone around the world already. Um, and, uh, so having, uh, my wife and daughter involved with us and following through the world cup and, you know, catching up with all those great friends that I'd made in, uh, in the, in the late nineties in, uh, in New Zealand and, um, and, you know, having, having, having them involved in that, uh, was, was amazing, you know, and, and not only that, the world cup, uh, you know, winning our first game against Tonga, um, you know, coming pretty close to getting one over France four days later, Unfortunately, we just didn't have uh, just didn't have a deep enough squad to uh, to hold them off, um, and then tying the bloody Japanese again. Like, <laughs> tied the Japanese twice in two different World Cups. It's uh, it's a bit frustrating, but it, it just shows to the the tenacity uh, of of the Japanese squad. And um, you know, it was uh, yeah, it was definitely uh, 2011 my my highlight of the of the World Cups. Amazing, Luke. Brilliant. I know we, we we try to stick to a forty-five minute. And I can see here on on the screen it's a fifty-seven minutes. Um, Jamin, I'm sure you got to get on with work. But look, um, we 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 delighted to have you on on our podcast, and we know that you guys are also involved uh, with a, um, a agency. Um, is it rugby PR? Yes. Is that run by Jennifer uh, as well, oh, yes. or is it a, f- a group of you you guys who run it? Oh no, my wife runs everything. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm do the heavy lifting. <laughs> it was like when we had our wine label. I'd be going to work with uh, ten, fifteen cases in the back of my truck, and uh, after training, I'd be uh, dropping off uh, wine left, right, and center at all the different restaurants in town. And she'd kind of send me texts. All right, this one goes to there. They want. Light. <laughs> Um, but it's the same thing with rugby PR. She, she runs that. And, um, you know, we're, uh, we're looking to develop more here in, in North America, um, obviously with the advent of MLR and a lot more, um, you know, interest in rugby, uh, globally and, and especially in North America. So, um, you know, that, that's, uh, that's Jennifer's domain. Okay. And now, um, Brilliant. Obviously, that you look after brands, there you partner with brands, and you and you've got look after players as well um, through that agency. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. So um, you know, we've uh, we've been helping uh, a lot of the guys who've been going south to MLR, um, and a few guys just with um, you know some just some advice really for some of the guys, some of the younger guys going over to Europe. Just making sure that they're in they're in good spaces and they're well supported because um, you know I know how difficult it is uh, when you go to a new country, whether you speak the language or not. Um, it's always good to give guys you know a bit of a, a heads up on things uh, that might uh, come up or any kind of pitfalls. Um, so uh, you know the guys um, in in our uh, that that work with rugby PR are uh, we don't uh, we don't charge them uh, money at the moment because uh, it is so so new especially in terms of the MLR um, but we uh, we create partnerships for for long term we want people to be uh, well supported and uh, 
and then uh, the um, you know the financial side will come back uh, later after we've uh, we've established uh, good working relationships with good people. Good stuff. Great, Luke. Um, I think we're going to wrap it up, Jamie. We can go for hours, but um, yeah. Luke. Um, who makes the best coffee in the house? <laughs> I love uh, I'm actually having some right now, and uh, I'd say I'd say it's me. Um, yeah, I'm a I'm pretty uh, I'm pretty particular uh, about my uh, my coffee. I like it strong um, and hot and hot and black. So uh, that's yeah. uh, in opinion, uh, milk should never be in coffee. Milk is for babies. <laughs> well, you learned that in France, didn't you, um, Jamie? Oh, I started that one in Canada years ago, but uh, oh, yeah. really. In France, okay. definitely. In France, definitely. There's no milk, uh, no milk going in your coffee. Well, was where we're at with rugby coffee at the moment, Jamie. Hopefully, we can fill that cup in your hands soon with uh, one of our favorite brews. I'd, I'd love to. I'd love to try uh, try your guys' coffee, and I'd be happy to uh, support in any way I can. Amazing, Jamie. Look, um, thanks a lot. We enjoyed it. Uh, we learned a lot about you. Good luck with um, the Canadian program. Um, everything you're doing there, we are excited, especially that there's a team also involved in the MLR. Um, just excited about it, not long before the next World Cup when France is on. So hopefully some of those kids come through and um, you know make you proud. But yeah, thank you for your time. Corne, Tinius, thank you very much for your time as well. Uh, I really enjoyed the uh, the pod. Um, happy to, uh, to do it again. Um, I'm sure there's lots more questions, and I, I can I can talk all day. Unfortunately, I could I'd probably talk a, probably talk a glass eye to sleep. So uh, we'll uh, we'll try to we'll try to keep it shorter next time, hey. But um, you know, boys, Jamie. thank you very much for having me on. Yeah, thank Jamie, you, Jamie. From, from our side as well. Thank you so much. Thanks for the time and uh, all the best that side. We'll be in touch, mate. Excellent. Thank you, boys.